Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as it is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So it was, uh, it was 1996 and uh, the guy in the market told me that it was a real Ralph Lauren shirt. It had the label, had the horse, it looked great. I wanted it. It promised me that I would look uh, cool, promised me that I'd rediscover my, my swagger. That's my swagger, by the way. <laughs> it was a call of the price. I was a student. I bought it. Well, I took it home. I, I wore it a few times. I put it in the wash. The label undid. The horse unthreaded. It looked more like a donkey. Soon it looked old. I'd fallen, of course, for a cheap fake. It was not the real thing. It promised so much. It delivered nothing. I felt a fool. Well, look, we're in the second half of Ephesians um, at the moment. Uh, live God's plan. First half, know God's plan. Second half, live God's plan. And verse 1, did you look down? Verse 1 reassures us of our security as God's children. We're his beloved children if we're Christians. And so we're called to imitate God, to walk in love. And verses 1 to 5, as they teach us to walk in love, rule out certain things. Uh, covetousness, greed, how we speak to each other. Uh, one of them that it rules out is sexual immorality. Greek word is porneia, um, meaning... Um, sex outside of marriage, uh, premarital sex, uh, adulterous sex, sex in our heads with someone who's not our, our spouse. And one form of that uh, is, as the word would suggest, pornography. Uh, viewing videos or images of people naked, people having sex. And look, we're going to spend our time um, on that really today. We're going to engage with that topic um, because porn is a cheap Fake, it's not the real thing. It promises so much, but it leaves us empty. It never delivers. 
Uh, now, if, if we're honest, even as I say, that's what we're going to spend our time um, on this morning. I imagine all of us, let's be honest, in the room are feeling uncomfortable about this. Um, frankly, it's not been the most sort of comfortable sermon for me to prepare uh, this week. I, I hope you might have got the church email, if, you're, uh, if you get that, that just warned you of that. Parents uh, as well, if you didn't, please sign up. If you don't read it, please read it for sort of occasions like, uh, like this. We don't normally do a topical talk next week. We'll just run through all of these verses in Ephesians 5, 1 to 21. We've, I've not decided to do this lightly. I've checked in with others beforehand. But it's clear that it's a massive issue in our culture uh, that is harming us, massive issue in our, in our churches, and it just won't help if we stay silent and can't work out a way to talk about it. Uh, Pathfinders and Spectrum, you're uh, in with us this morning. That's our 11 to 18s. Um, and again, I've tried to warn the parents of, of this. We've, I plan to do it in a way that's appropriate to your age. But if you're here and you're in year seven, then you'll be covering this at school. And you may have already seen um, uh, things. Most of Spectrum, you probably have. And so uh, we've decided that we want to learn about this as a church family with parents first, maybe feel a bit embarrassed that you're sitting next to your parents, but they really are the best and the safest people to protect and to walk with you. Some words to some others here, maybe you're here and you feel you're losing the struggle and you're sitting here and you feel uh, shame, dirtiness, um, you're weary of the failure. Um, I've been praying for you this week that this would be helpful for you and that you'd know that there are many here in the same situation that you're not uh, alone. I guess you maybe wish you could escape this sermon, but God's got you here. And I really want us to hear a message of hope with the focus finally not on, on porn, but Jesus. Another group, it may be that, that you're here and it's not an issue and actually you find it a little bit distasteful that we're preaching about it. But Ephesians says that we're one body, we're a church and we want to walk with others as a church and to help one another. Maybe it will help you to pray for nieces or nephews or, or, or grandchildren as well. And for all of us, wherever we are, there's no room for self-righteousness as we approach this. It's an issue for each of us in the, in the room. We're all sexual sinners. I'm a sexual sinner. And so we need to pray. Let's just pause and pray and ask for God's help. Ephesians 4.32 says... As God in Christ forgave ye, beloved children. Father, uh, this is hard. We just pray that you'd help us um, in this next half hour and that you'd give us the help and the reassurance of your grace that each one of us needs in Jesus' name. Amen. So look, three things on the screen of where we're going. Uh, God is good, porn enslaves, Jesus sets us free. Let's start with God is good. And the Bible opens right at the beginning with a good God who creates a beautiful world and invites us into a relationship with him. And sex is part of that good world. Before the fall, before it all went wrong, sex was given as a good gift. And so we're told that God is not embarrassed by sex. It's not just to, to have babies. It's uh, to be enjoyed as a, as a bond in, in marriage. And it's designed not just to point to itself, but to point to God as well, the fountain of love and to the ultimate marriage between God and his people that Jesus invites us into. And sex, says the Bible, is so good 
that God places it in this relationship that's designed to be an unconditional relationship of love, a place where we, we should be safe, safe to be ourselves, where, where we should be open, able to be naked without fear of rejection. That's the idea behind it. Uh, on, on the screen, and the first car that I owned was a run-down polo. That's not it. It was a sort of slightly gaudy red, um, red thing. Um, I, I, it wasn't very expensive. I, I lent it out. I parked it on the on the street. You know, didn't really care about it. If, on the other hand, I had a car like this, a Ferrari F40, <laughs> very nice. If I had a car like that, I would keep it in the garage. I would not leave it on the street. Much as I like you, I would probably not lend it to you. It's something that's precious, something that's safe. I'd, I'd put it in a safe place. And God puts sex in the one safe place of marriage because he's good, because he cares for us, because he wants us to enjoy it and not get hurt. And he wants to strengthen marriages so that it flows out and blesses others. And so Pathfinders and Spectrum, your friends... Now, the TV, social media will mock the idea of Christian marriage and sex within marriage. They will say to you that the world offers freedom. Sex with whoever, sex on the screen. And they will say that the God that Christians worship is a killjoy, that, uh, that he's out to spoil our fun, that he's anti-sex. He is not. Don't believe what your friends and social media tell you. God is good. His design is good. He wants the best for us all. And what our culture is offering us is a cheap fake of the real thing, which leaves us and our school friends hurt, ashamed, and empty. God is good. That's the first thing for us this morning. The, the second is that porn enslaves, and we'll spend a little bit longer here. The, the world and we like to think that, that, that sex outside of marriage or sex in porn will somehow set us free. It is the complete opposite. Jesus says in John chapter 8, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's true of all sin, especially of porn, which enslaves. Now, pornography has always been around. I imagine it was there in, in, in Ephesus. But in the last 20 years, something has shifted in our culture. Commentators would recognize, probably to do with the smartphone or, or the internet. And they talk about three A's that have changed. That it is now accessible, find it anywhere. It's, it's affordable, it's free to view. It's anonymous. There's no longer the sort of shame of walking into a shop and going to the top shelf and going to the counter. That's been taken out of it. And many in our culture, not just Christians, are now seeing and writing about the way that it enslaves, that it is a deeply damaging uh, potential addiction. So a secular website that, that young people are particularly sort of finding traction is called Fight the New Drug, and it has statistics on it. In January of this year, there was a government report by the Children's Commissioner which brought out research and concluded that exposure to porn is widespread and normalised. In other words, it's very hard for children to actually opt out of this. Um, they, they stumble across it sometimes through just doing homework or gaming. And it's not just in sort of porn sites. And that the top four places that, that will be accessed include Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. And so the average age, age and here are some things that we'll, 
will shock us if you haven't heard these things. The average age of first seeing pornography is uh, age 13, uh, 27% by age 11, 50% by 13. And of course, when you start, you're drawn in further and it gets worse, so that 80% of those who are 15 to, to 17 have viewed, have had multiple exposures of viewing hardcore or, or violent porn. And so what we're saying is that the freedom that as a culture we have gone after and pursued as adults is, is enslaving the, the most vulnerable and the young. Uh, half of, of young men would watch porn regularly. Average would, statistics would say about once a month, but that seems fairly conservative many frequent times a week. Not just the young, but the old. Not just men, but women. Uh, online, of course, but, but through you know, so-called romantic fiction, which is really erotic uh, fiction. And in our churches, the surveys could be you know, as high as 50% of men, 20% of women struggling. And so in a church of men and women, maybe one of, th one of three of us um, trying this, struggling with it, which, which means we, we do need to speak about it hard as it is widespread, um, normalized, I guess the question is, is it um, normal? Um, is it just a harmless biological urge? And um, the Bible says no. And so four things just on the, on the screen here. What does it teach us? It, it teaches us wrong sex to start with. So God's design is, is good, but porn is a cheap uh, fake. Um, Sex is designed to serve someone else in a relationship, but porn turns us in on ourselves, on me and my appetites. I'm in control. I get what I want when I want it. It teaches us all a wrong view of sex, especially our, our young. And so the st statistics, again, are that a, a third of, um, of porn videos depict violence, um, 53% of Boys and 39% of girls would think that porn is realistic, so a realistic depiction of sex. So there we have something shocking that a third would be violent, and half of our boys think that sex would involve violence. And so again, we need to say to our young people who are here this morning that that's, that's not what sex is designed for, for, for violence and humiliation. God designs it as a good gift for us all. And uh, parents, we need to work out ways of talking. We hope that this morning will help us just to start talking with um, our young people where we find it embarrassing. There are books out there that can help us. And children, uh, young people, I want to encourage us um, to be looking to the Bible rather than just to the world around us to learn in these areas. So there's the first. It teaches wrong sex. Second, it makes people uh, objects. All people are worthy of the highest dignity because all people are made in God's image. And yet, porn turns people into objects. They're there to serve me and my appetite. And so it doesn't matter uh, what um, life story might be behind that, uh, whether they're, they're married, the person on the screen, or children, why they're, they're doing it. We just don't think of them as real Objects, we dehumanize, they're just objects. And so a Christian friend of mine who works to help women um, trapped in, in, in the sex trade in Mayfair had some contact this week and she knows firsthand how many are, are literally enslaved in, in, the, in the trade, trafficked. 
And so again, although porn is, a, is an issue for women, it's overwhelmingly men who are exploiting women and keeping them in, in slavery, often in violence. And God is grieved. God is angry because women are of equal dignity to men, infinitely precious to him. Again, maybe we try to sell, tell ourselves that the person on the screen looks, looks willing. We say, I'm not actually um, in, involved in that scene. I'm not, I'm not paying. But of course, our, our click on the website attracts advertising and that money funds the channel and keeps people in it. And so it's not just me in my room. It affects, it affects others. And we simply don't know if we're complicit in or involved in something that might just off-screen involve coercion or, or violence, illegality uh, even. And of course it makes us all feel like objects. We compare our bodies and our experience with those on the screen and our young people and all of us experience low self-esteem or eating disorders or what we think about our, our body is of, of, of low value. A man called Martin uh, Daubney, who um, was the editor of a magazine called Loaded in up to 2010, used to kind of, when he edited that magazine, which, you know, was um, full of this sorts of stuff, he, he thought it was fairly harmless. And he said this years later, he said, um, I then realized, he said, I started seeing the women in my magazine, not just as objects, but as somebody's daughter. And it was heartbreaking. So it teaches wrong sex, it makes people objects. It, it always wants more. Jesus said everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We, we, we never have enough. And we can end up needing help, not just with, with pornography, but with addiction itself. It's, it's the, the dopamine hit in the brain that becomes desensitized. We have to go up another level to get the same uh, hit. And sin always pulls us in deeper and, and darker. And so... Over half of those who, who um, uh, use pornography would admit that their taste in porn has become more sort of extreme um, over the years, always deeper. It may be that we're just a few clicks away from illegal stuff. And are we scared by that? God says we, we should be. And so much of it feeds back into our society and how women are, are treated uh, lastly, it damages uh, relationships um, in three areas. It damages our relationship with God, which is the heart of the issue. It goes against his good design, God's good design for sex. Uh, it is sin. And if we're Christian, it just affects our relationship with God. We don't enjoy him. We live life in a cycle of shame. We're, we're less inclined to come to God, the only one who can really help us. And so we don't have strength to resist. So we fall again. And the cycle continues. And the Christian life can become just about this one area. And we miss out on the other areas. Things like, like greed, which is a massive issue and mentioned in, in verse 3. If we're married, it can eat away at our relationship with our, our spouse or future marriage as it forms habits that are hard to shift. It can destroy a family. It can wreck it. And it weakens our relationship with our church family. We, we feel like a hypocrite, so we, we pull back from others. We feel more lonely. Our motivation for serving is, is weakening. The cycle continues. Our vision for serving Jesus that we once had shrinks. So four 
areas. God is good, but porn enslaves. It's wrong sex, objects, wants more relationships. It's hard to talk about, isn't it? Hard to hear about. And maybe we're feeling rightly convicted, even scared. And so I want us to turn now to Jesus, who really sets us free. And it is a sweet relief, as it always should be, to turn to Jesus now and hear about him. Everyone who sins, says Jesus, is a slave to sin. But then he went on, but if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And Jesus sets us free, three areas uh, here for us to think about. He sets us free from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, from the people of God. Sorry, three headings beginning with P. I'm sorry. <laughs> Always seem to land in, in there. Everyone who sins, first of all, from the penalty of sin. God doesn't sweep our sin under the carpet. He doesn't say, you're only human, everyone else is doing it. No, God is holy and just. He loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. So God is holy and just. He cares about the damage that sin does to us, to others. He, he must judge all sin. And if you're a Christian here, know this, hear this. In love, God punished Jesus for you on the cross for all of your sin. All of the guilt and the shame of it is in God's mind no longer attached to you this morning because it was attached to Jesus on the cross. Here's a verse which puts it wonderfully. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as God looked on the cross on his precious son, Jesus was so associated with our sin that he became a greedy man. As God looked at him, God looked at him as a murderer on that day. He looked at him as one who, who had done every type of sin. He looked on him and on the cross, I'll put it this way, as a dirty porn addict. That's how God looked at him. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in Jesus, if we're linked up with him, we might become the righteousness of God. God judged Jesus for stuff that you and I have done. And he put it on Jesus instead. And so it was a swap, and maybe you've seen it described like this, but imagine that there were two phones. There's, there's my phone with all of the things that, are, uh, that, that will be on that for all of us, or, or, or the, the thoughts that, that we've had in our minds. And then there's Jesus' phone, which is perfect. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life, a perfectly righteous sexual life. Never sinned in any way. He was tempted, just as we are, but never sinned. And on the cross, these two were swapped. Jesus was treated as if he'd lived my life, my thought life. And I get treated as if I had lived a perfect life. And so know this this morning. If you're a Christian, God looks at you. You might not feel this, but God looks at you as perfectly washed, perfectly clean, 
perfectly forgiven, as if there is no record, no history, no browser history for you at all before God. That is how he looks at you. You are white and spotless before him. You might not feel that, but as a Christian, you really are. And that helps us deal with the, the sense of guilt that we have, the things that are on our conscience. You see, Satan will come at us and he will, he will say, well, look, you've failed. How can you, how can you call yourself a Christian? How can you be in church next to other people this morning? And we have to learn to fight his lies with the truth of the gospel. John Piper, in a sermon you can find online called Gutsy Guilt, sort of puts it this way. He says that we, we have to say back to the enemy when he comes to us, we say, yes, you're right, I'm, I've failed. But that is where your truth about me stops. I'm guilty, but I am fully forgiven. There is no condemnation for me. You say to me that God is against me, that I have no future. That is not true. I tell you that God is for me, that he has forgiven me, and I will not stop serving my Jesus as a fully forgiven person. Friends, we have a new identity in Christ. Be who you are. Ephesians says we had an old self, we have a new self. We're not sinners. Did you see in the verse we're described as saints? The Bible doesn't describe you, if you're a Christian, as a sinner anymore. You have a new identity, you're a saint. And so the, the, the next area is we're freed from the power of sin. We're freed from the power of sin. So the problem is not just out there, the problem is in here. And so we all need help in our hearts. And wonderfully, the Christian message is not just you're forgiven, hang on there for heaven. The message is you are forgiven, but God can change you along the way. And our church family is full of changed lives. And Ephesians tells us in chapter 1, if you've got a Bible, let's just flick back and see some bits in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, Verse 19, that the power that it's work in us, chapter 1, verse 19, is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit is far more powerful than sin and can change us. He really can. And that's why in Ephesians 4, in verse 21 and 23, we're told to put off and put on. God wouldn't tell us that unless there was some expectation that by the Spirit we could make progress. Now look, we won't be free of its presence until sin, so the power is gone, the penalty is gone, the presence will still be there. And yet if we're Christians, now we hate it when we fail. But we have freedom from the grip, from the ultimate power. And the fact that we hate it is a sign of the Holy Spirit's new identity in us. Finally, we're set free with the people of God. We're set free with the people of God. Maybe we feel we're sitting here and we've tried to change a thousand times. And yet the shame of this topic makes it so hard and so tempting to try to do it on our own rather than speak to other people, to, to just try and make progress on our own. And Ephesians tells us that we're a church, we're a body. We're to one another each other. And so yes, Jesus calls for practical, radical action. Matthew 5, he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hands cut it off, he's not meaning literally. But he is trying to get us to see how serious this is, to do something, to do something today. And so we hear that and maybe we try some things and they're good things. Maybe we decide practically, no, you know, no TV after 10 o'clock at night if it's unhelpful. Maybe get rid of Netflix if it's a source of temptation. Get some accountability software. Covenant Eyes is a good one. Maybe it's time to get rid of the internet on our phone and go back to an old Nokia brick. Maybe to throw away the romantic fiction. 
And we decide those things and they are good. But we can't do it alone. We're to do it with the people of God. And so if there was one thing that I would say to us this morning, it is to tell someone this is an issue. This grows in the secret. This grows in the dark. If you're struggling, I plead with you, please tell someone. It takes courage to send a text to say, can we talk? You will talk yourself out of it. You will say it's not that bad. But it is serious and it always wants more. And telling someone will help. Tell a friend or an older Christian or a spouse who would need wisdom in how much detail to go into in that. Or a staff team member. We'll listen. We won't judge. We, we get it. Young people just started in, in this world. Your friends are starting in this world. Talk to someone. Talk to, talk to a parent. Tell them what you've seen so far. Talk to your youth leader. Again, maybe initially you'd find it helpful to talk to someone in an anonymous setting. There are organizations, one called the Naked Truth Project, a good Christian organization. It helped me a number of years ago when I was in a bad place on this. And I'll put some resources on the Friday email next week. I'm glad to hear of prayer triplets starting between married and singles. If you'd like one, let us know. Men, I think we're especially bad at, at friendship. Maybe especially married men. There's this myth of the strong man. He, he doesn't need help, gets isolated. We need friendships with others where we're honest and supportive. And we need a church culture where we help each other to hold high standards, where we say, I want to be done with this and I need your help. As a church where we fight again, just pushing this into private shame. Relationships where we can be open and not shocked by sin. And listen, so that we can all together move from despair in this issue towards hope. If you're not a Christian, I hope you can see that none of us can find help with our guilt or transformation without Jesus. And we'd love for you to find out more about him. Why not come on our Hope Explored course in January and find out more? Keep coming on a Sunday. But I said we'd finish not with porn, but briefly with, with Jesus you remember how Jesus on earth, whenever he came across the unclean, he never pulled back in, in disgust from, but he always moved towards them in compassion. Jesus really is the most approachable person in the universe. Just like a, a, a doctor who, who hears of maybe a people group who have a contagious disease and he has the cure. And he moves to this people and starts offering the cure, but no one comes forward. Finally, one brave man steps forward and says, I need help. What does the doctor feel at that moment? Does he feel anger at this man? Does he feel frustration? No, no. He feels joy. Because it's why he's come. He's come to help. And Jesus, our tender-hearted Savior, lives for this. He lives for helping people in this situation. He moves towards us. He's not frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness. He died to provide a limitless supply of grace and to free us from the deeper issues that drive us into this in the first place. Often we go there because life is hard. or We want to go into a world where we feel in control. We're the hero. We're desired. And Jesus sees the deeper issues and can set us free from them. We don't feel loved. Jesus loves us more than we could ever imagine.
We feel looked down upon. Jesus lifts us up. We don't feel in control. Jesus is for our good. And we won't make progress if we just go for discipline, but not for desire for Jesus, or just for rules. But we're not praying about our relationship with him. We need him. God is good. His design is good. Porn is a cheap fake. It enslaves us. It damages us and others. And Jesus, and only Jesus, sets us free. Let's be quiet and pray. Just a moment of quiet for us all, just to speak to Jesus in our hearts. I don't know what words we'd want to say. Sorry. Thank you. Please help me. Let's speak to him ourselves. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every way and yet was without sin. Jesus said in Luke 4 that he was the one who had come to set the prisoners free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and his grace. So Father, thank you that we live under your grace, under your kindness, under your free forgiveness. Father, we've found this half hour hard to talk about these things and engage with them. But thank you that your your word and your grace gives us the freedom to talk about the worst and the deepest part of ourselves. We pray for our young people uh, here and pray that you'd protect them and strengthen uh, them and help us to help uh, them. And we pray for all of us, as all of us are sexual sinners, none of us better or worse than than the others, that we would be a body, a church who help each other to talk about these things. Lord, for those who just know they need to reach out to someone, please give them the courage to, to do so. And we pray for all of us that we would leave here, not with our eyes sort of fixed on us or just turned in on ourselves and the dirt that we feel, but turned out to Jesus. We thank you for his free and full forgiveness that you don't look at us as we look at ourselves as the dirtiness that we feel, but you look at us as perfect in Christ, washed, cleaned. And so please help us increasingly just to live as who we are. Live as those clean people that you've made us to be. And to make progress by the Spirit and with the people of God uh, towards greater uh, freedom to believe that we we can we really can make progress as you help us in Jesus name amen